Welcome to you wherever you are at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Before we jump into our teaching, I want to mention this great resource called the U version of the Bible, absolutely free. And if you get it on your phone or device, you can find a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. Also, when you're listening to your podcast this week, if you would search for Arlington FM Church, there you will find all of our teaching content. Well, we are in a series called uh, Lovers and Friends. And uh, this weekend, our focus is going to be the friendships that happen in the context of marriage. You know, uh, uh, one elementary school teacher asked her class, how can you tell if two people are married? And I love this response. Uh, when you see them yelling at the same kids. <laughs> A little glimpse of reality right there. But uh, we've been contending all along that following Jesus will not only make your life better, but will make you better at life. And uh, I would like to say at the start of this teaching, nowhere is that more true than uh, in your marriage relationship. In fact, uh, I believe with all my heart, soul, and mind that following Jesus will make you a better spouse, will make you better at marriage. You know, uh, one person uh, will call this, uh, they recorded uh, what I call a marriage lament. And uh, here's what they said uh, when they aspired uh, to be married to their best friend. I wanted to spend life with my best friend. I wanted to experience passion, romance, sex, meaningful conversations, deep connection, encouragement, shared dreams, laughter, praying together, flirting, peace, pursuing Christ together, and oneness. And the anticipation of sharing these wonderful experiences is what compelled us into marriage. You know, you may think uh, when you hear that, sounds idealistic, uh, perhaps even a bit naive, but I would like to concur all of those things and more are God's heart for marriage. Uh, God's blessing is on the marriage relationship, and he couldn't hold it in higher regard. He compares the relationship that Jesus has with his church as a husband to his bride. And uh, so uh, this marriage lament, which began with such high hopes, unfortunately uh, deteriorated into this reality. Uh, she writes, now I feel completely disconnected and alone. It's like we're living separate lives under the same roof. We're in a rut as a couple. I'm committed to our marriage, but I feel like we're nothing more than married roommates. You know, uh, that, that's kind of a sad reality. And unfortunately, uh, many of us, I think, can relate uh, to that uh, digression from the high hopes uh, to the uh, unfortunate reality that uh, married life sometimes uh, takes us to. And uh, the, the author of that lament went on to write a book with her husband, and they called the book uh, From Soulmates to Roommates. And uh, here is uh, uh, how they kind of chronicled that digression. Uh, she says, uh, or they write, left unnoticed, soulmates slowly morph into roommates. Passion turns into mundane routine. Intimacy turns into disinterest. Connection changes to icy distance. Uh, sex is often traded for sleep or more desirable. Enjoyment and fun mutate into boredom. Meaningful conversation is replaced by business meetings. Peace becomes tension and shared dreams vanish. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, that's, that's quite a digression 
from the initial hopes and dreams that uh, uh, most couples have. And uh, initially, you know, uh, so much of, of our experience as married couples uh, is uh, based in mutual friendship, mutual affection, shared dreams and aspirations. And uh, as the book goes on, uh, they identified uh, these characteristics of soulmates who have become roommates. And uh, maybe you can identify with some of them, uh, but roommates uh, living together under the same roof tend to be overly busy, uh, exhausted uh, simply by the demands uh, uh, and uh, obligations of life. Uh, their lives together often leans uh, more on the pragmatic side rather than the romantic. Uh, how do we solve this problem? How do we cope with these issues? Uh, which leads to what they refer to as gentle neglect, uh, kind of an overlooking of the feelings and uh, you know the heart conditions of one another, which uh, becomes unfortunately complacency towards the relationship, whereas. Uh, you know, every, every vicissitude, every up and down used to be met with uh, intentionality, and now there becomes almost an acceptance, well, uh, this is the way things are, which uh, unfortunately uh, can lead to spiritually distant individuals uh, no longer connecting, communing with God together, agreeing together in prayer, uh, avoiding conflict, and this is one of the real relationship killers, of, of not uh, having those regular conversations of dealing with the natural conflicts that come up in life, which uh, lends itself to an absence of closeness, an into, uh, absence of intimacy on all levels, uh, physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually, and uh, disengaged. It's kind of that uh, a place of coldness, accepted distance, and... Uh, which unfortunately creates a feeling of unsafety, that it becomes more and more difficult to risk disclosure and openness. And of course, all of these things would contribute to a lack of vision and hope, a hopeful future in their lives together. Well, I would like to say this point blank. This is not God's will for married couples. This is not what God had in his heart when he created them male and female and said, for this cause, man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave to his wife, and the two would become one. In fact, you know, we've stated in this series on lovers and friends that God made the declaration early on in the book of Genesis, it is not good for man and woman to be, or it's not good for man to be alone. You could kind of say that like this. God created us as relational beings. In his image, he created us, and we long for connection, for intimacy. We long to be known and to know uh, others uh, on ever-deepening levels. Uh, feeling isolated and alone goes against our very nature and against the desires of our heart. Well, uh, you may ask the question, well, how is it? that well-meaning couples often create environments that breed discontent and turmoil. How does that happen? You know, I don't think anyone stands at the altar and pledges their best uh, to their best friend and lover at that point. Uh, no one envisions this uh, process of going from soulmates to roommates. Well, how does that happen? Well, uh, one answer would be 
because we're sinners. <laughs> you know, in, in spite of our best intentions, when two people uh, pledge their lives together, uh, there's a whole lot of uh, work that still needs to happen uh, within them. But maybe a more gracious answer would be, uh, you know, that we go from this uh, pinnacle of soulmates to roommates. Uh, gradually, uh, life just has a way of happening to us. It's like the guy who was sitting in a bar all forlorn and uh, his drinking mate said, well, uh, Mac, how did you go bankrupt? And his uh, thoughtful response was, hmm, gradually, then suddenly. <laughs> and, you know, I think that uh, the same is true in our relationships, uh, this uh, digression uh, from being married to our best friend and all these wonderful aspirations and hopes, uh, they fade slowly over time, uh, gradually, and then suddenly there's this feeling of being alone and distant, of being uh, roommates living within the same household. Uh, you know, there's a, a book in the Bible that's all about intimacy in marriage. It's uh, all about uh, sexual love and uh, closeness that is God's design and intention. And you may wonder, is that really in the Bible? Does the Bible speak to those issues? Well, uh, we contend that uh, God created us uh, in his image and uh, you know, made us intricate and wonderfully complex people. And our sexuality is part of being created by God. And uh, in this book, it's called The Song of Solomon, uh, you go back and forth between a bride and a groom as they're talking about uh, their passion for one another, their shared lives together. And at one point uh, in the Song of Solomon, uh, we read uh, these words. Uh, the bride is uh, imploring her husband. She says, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. Interesting analogy. Uh, she uh, looks at the foxes that would move into the vineyards and bite away at the, the uh, uh, plants at the roots, uh, ruin the leaves and the foliage, and eventually ruin the entire vineyard and the produce that it would. And uh, she uses that analogy and implores her husband to catch all those foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. For the grapevines are blossoming. What she's saying, you know, it's the little things that have a big impact. It's an accumulation of a lot of little things that ruin the harvest and the produce, the fruitfulness and the abundance, you know, and the same is true as, uh, as, as this uh, bride in the Song of Solomon is expressing. It's the little things that destroy intimacy it's the gradual uh, loss of things once held valuable. And uh, over the years, we know it's, it's the little neglect. You know, when, uh, when there's a concern raised uh, by a spouse and uh, there seems to be little attention paid to it, it's the little forgotten promises. It's the, uh, the little conflicts that didn't get talked about and resolved that begin to eat away at the roots of a marriage. Uh, it's words that are spoken and that uh, perhaps are never apologized for. You know, the Proverbs uh, declare the power of our words. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. Uh, could it be put in any grander terms? 
Uh, the words we say have the power to produce life or to produce death. And those who love it will uh, eat its fruit. Those who learn to love the power of words will enjoy the benefits of it. And so over time, these little foxes that creep in to our interaction with our once best friend and lover begin to eat away at the, the quality, the safety, the intimacy, and the vibrancy of that relationship. And uh, those little foxes uh, grow in their impact. You know, one of the, uh, the uh, dynamics we identified from a group called the Gottman uh, Research Institute, where they, they really have spent decades looking at how couples interact with each other. And uh, they asked the question, are all negative behaviors equally damaging? And uh, as I said, over decades of research and working with thousands of couples, they identified four relationship killers. And these were so lethal in relationships that they, they referred to them as the four horsemen. And these are no longer little foxes. These are big, dangerous animals. And uh, what they identified was these four uh, criticism, becoming critical of our spouses, a defensiveness where we feel that our spouse is out to get us, out to attack us, and any input is to be warded off, a disrespect and contempt. Uh, we begin to uh, see this person as the embodiment of all evil, as the one who's uh, trying to hurt us rather than help us, and then this uh, stonewalling, uh, turning away, uh, isolating, withdrawing and uh, you know it's um it's it's been observed that the key uh, over time over the years over the decades that a, a couple are together uh, one of the primary keys of, of how they're going to do together is how uh, you handle conflict uh, how you as a married person as a husband or a wife uh, how do you deal with the conflict that arises every day in so many different ways? And that seems to be one of the primary indicators of uh, if we'll be on this digression from soulmates to roommates. And uh, in fact, uh, they've said it like this, the Gottmans and publishing some of their research findings. One of the single most uh, significant factors that differentiated the marriage master's from the marriage disasters was how they saw their partner beyond the conflict. In other words, when the, uh, the daily things arose, when the disappointments happened, uh, when the promises were not kept, when uh, the duties were not divided equally, uh, how did each spouse see their partner beyond the conflict? Uh, did they begin to digress? And uh, as we mentioned, become critical, become defensive, become isolated, and withdrawn. In fact, they observed uh, kind of these two polarities, polar responses uh, to conflict. In the one, the marriage disasters, when conflict happened, they became tight-lipped, they looked away, they became scornful, uh, they became contemptuous towards this person who is repeatedly disappointing them and letting them down. Maybe you relate to that. Uh, but the, uh, the marriage masters, even in conflict, they learn to, uh, to process it all with their partner. They, they remained uh, humorous. Uh, of, they were able to see the humor in their own failures, and uh, they, 
really expressed this attitude. They were still grateful that they had someone in their lives, uh, someone to partner with, uh, someone who would be willing to bring up their fails and their inconsistencies to them. Uh, Here's kind of one of the ways uh, they summarize these findings. If you want a healthy marriage, you're going to have to learn to replace deadly weapons with helpful tools because weapons destroy, but tools fix. I want you to kind of hear hear and see those words again. Uh, If you want a healthy marriage, uh, one that uh, moves towards intimacy, connection, fruitfulness, joy, uh, all the abundance that God intends for married couples to experience, you're going to have to learn how to replace uh, the deadly weapons, think the four horsemen and words that harm and hurt, uh, with helpful tools, uh, weapons destroy, but tools fix. Well, uh, as we kind of come to the end of this uh, message, uh, I want to point to uh, what Jesus taught about how to be healthy people. You know, someone once said, if you want to have a good marriage, uh, be a good marriage partner. Uh, If you want the tree to bear fruit, make the tree good if you want it to bear good fruit. And so uh, nowhere does Jesus teach more uh, specifically about the kinds of people that do well in relationships than he does at the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, in that uh, amazing body of teaching, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, Jesus opens with uh, some famous words. We refer to them as the Beatitudes And uh, really what they are is Jesus teaching on the way to live a blessed and happy life. You could even translate it like this. It's Jesus teaching on how to uh, do well in relationships, what kind of people thrive in their relationships with others, especially their most significant ones. Uh, Here's what he teaches, uh, uh, counterintuitive truths about how to approach life. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. You're going, wait a minute, that doesn't sound very blessed. But what he's saying is an approach to life that allows us to experience God and others and all of their uh, imperfect weakness. Blessed are those who who are meek, uh, who are teachable, who are open. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they know they don't have it. Blessed are the merciful because they want to receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart who are willing to have the impurities uh, come to the surface and be removed. And blessed are the peacemakers. You know, those are, those are amazing uh, attributes. Uh, but I happen to believe that what Jesus is describing is a life that is humble, a life that is open, uh, a person that is able to uh, do partnership with others and learn from them. You know, uh, another finding from the Gottman research after decades working with thousands of couples is that most of our marriage conflicts never get solved. It, it, they never, you know, the, the problems we carry into our marriage, many times it's just how we're wired and two people uh, experience life differently now together. And so uh, what they've observed is that healthy couples learn to live well with each other because of those differences. And, you know, that's a kind of an amazing reality is that many of the problems we fight and lose sleep over, those things are never going to change. But what changes is we do 
in our response to them. And uh, again, in summary, the big issue seems to be not quitting on your spouse, not, not, not giving up on that person, even though you go through times that are demanding and difficult, challenging, is uh, the big issue seems to be uh, we're in this together. In fact, uh, one of the ways they state this is you learn to build walls around your relationship and windows between you. Rather, the other way around is you allow walls to form between you and you open up windows uh, into getting your needs met outside of that relationship. Well, uh, in summary then, as we come to the end of this message, uh, you could say this. Uh, here is how friends become and stay lovers, according to all the research and really the teaching throughout the scriptures, is that um, strong friendship predicts passion and intimacy. Hear that again. It's so core to this teaching on lovers and friends, is that strong friendship uh, is a predictor in marriage of lasting passion and intimacy, of avoiding that downward drift towards just becoming roommates. And uh, here's some of the basics of strong friendship, a turning toward each other's bids for connection. It's a key to friendship. Uh, you know, that's such a simple statement, but it's huge in its impact is uh, when our spouse makes some sort of bid for attention, whether it's a, a disclosure, a problem that's bugging them, uh, something that came up at work, uh, something they're processing through, or even an observation is that there's a regular turning toward each other rather than away from. And uh, so trust is built by caring about each other's needs. Uh, you know, you just can't do away with that is uh, when that other person uh, has their emotional world, their physical world, their, their uh, vocational lives, uh, whatever the need is that uh, trust is built when we choose to care for those needs and trust is deepened by supporting each other's dreams. Well, uh, maybe as you uh, hear that summary, you're thinking, you know what? Uh, I think I've failed on a lot of those uh, checkpoints I think maybe uh, maybe you've succumbed to, to that pull that happens to all of us uh, from soulmates to becoming roommates, uh, really by giving in to the pressures of uh, life in the world and the, the conflicts that happen so naturally within our relationships. And uh, as I lead us in a prayer, uh, I want you to just hear uh, this um, kind of a concluding uh, Summary from the author of this book, uh, Soulmates to Roommates. Uh, here's what they say. The marriage you're longing for, that intimacy, that closeness, that fullness, that joy, all of those hopes and dreams and aspirations that we have when we say, I do and I will. Uh, the intimacy that you're longing for uh, it really requires wholehearted engagement on the part of the individual's love requires an open and abundantly full heart. Connection requires endurance. Passion requires energy. Intimacy requires attentiveness. Fun and laughter require reserves. Grace requires persistence. All of these things are possible in marriage, but these things won't happen if you're leading a hurried exhausted life and your heart is empty. You know, that's pretty profound. 
observation. But so often, uh, our most uh, primary relationships are lacking because our own hearts are lacking. You know, how do we bring uh, all of the things, all the investments into that relationship to make it vibrant if in our own hearts we're feeling cold and empty? You know, my wife and I, the first house that we bought, it was uh, about 900 square foot. It was a three-bedroom house. You can imagine each of the bedrooms were about as big as the size of a normal closet. And uh, that house was always cold. I think it's because they built it with no insulation in the walls. At least it felt like it. If it was 35 degrees outside, it was probably 34 inside. It always felt cold in that house until uh, we bought uh, we bought a wood stove that was way too big for a house that size. In fact, this wood stove could have heated a log cabin, but uh, that became our source of heat. I remember one day getting up and feeling cold and being sort of annoyed by it. So I stoked the wood stove up, even got the hair dryer out and plugged it in and blew that thing into flames and set the dampers and off we went to our daily business. When we came home and opened the door, that house was like a sauna. It had heated up so much, you couldn't touch the walls. They were so hot. And I often think about that, you know, when I think of God's desire uh, to uh, inflame our hearts, uh, to warm our hearts. You know, one of the, the reasons we drift is our hearts just get cold. We get a little empty. And it's hard to bring what's necessary to keep that friendship alive and flourishing and you're thinking, well, uh, how do you do that? You know, how do you stir up a heart that has grown cold and tired and empty? Well, I would point you to Jesus who, who made this wonderful promise. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Uh, that's his offer. The good shepherd, he, he offers to come to our empty hearts and fill them with what we need to be in love with him and with the people he allows into our lives. And then, then this other statement from the lips of Jesus, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, thank you so much that you love us the way that you do. Thank you that your plans for us are good. You want to give us the desires of our hearts, Lord. Your word couldn't be more clear about that. And yet so often, Lord, in this most significant of all of our relationships, our relationships with our spouses, our marriages, uh, we drift away from your good plan for us. We uh, fall into uh, negative behaviors. We start acting in ways that sabotage our own best interests. And uh, thank you. Uh, for a word like this, Lord, where you bring us back to reality, you bring us back to your good intentions, and you give us a plan and purpose, and you give us yourself. Uh, Lord, we would just reach to you right now. Thank you uh, for your promise that you came, that we might have life and have it abundantly. Uh, thank you that you said if we would just turn to you, Jesus, out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. Maybe if you're uh, listening to this message, you're thinking, you know, uh, that's what I need. Uh, I need Jesus in my life, and I need what he promised he would do. Uh, I would encourage you right where you're at. Uh, just open up to him. Uh, say, Lord, I've heard enough. I've heard what you've said. I've heard your promise. Uh, I need you in my heart. 
I need you in my life. I want to experience you in my home and in my relationships, in my marriage, Lord. Let that living water begin to flow, even if it's a trickle. Lord, let it begin to flow within my heart and move into my home and into my relationships, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.